0: Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Rioli. In each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with maritime professionals, industry experts, and students. Our guests come from different backgrounds, including shipping, yachting, offshore, supply chain, and more. Our goal is to give you all the knowledge you need to succeed in the maritime industry. Welcome to the Myotem Vision podcast. And today we are joined by Maurice Janssen, a Port Ecosystem expert, business developer, education innovator and researcher at Erasmus University Rotterdam. Hello, uh, Maurice. It's a pleasure to have you in this podcast episode. Can you introduce yourself, please?
1: Yes. So thank you for having me uh, in this podcast, uh, Paul-Louis. Um, yeah. So my my name is Maurice Janssen. I'm uh, born, raised, educated in Rotterdam, uh, as I always say uh pretty much under the under the chimneys of the the port in Vladingen, a little port town um opposite of the shell refinery and um i think yeah my whole career has been really colored uh, by the port of uh, of Rotterdam and uh, i studied there at Erasmus the University business administration and went into into logistics uh, for some years so uh, really in the in the business uh basically across Europe, all kind of projects in supply chain management. And at some point I thought I want to uh, develop and share knowledge uh, on port development. Uh, and that I think was uh, around 2006, where I started to work in an education institute, uh, Shipping and Transport College here in Rotterdam. Uh, again, uh, very international, did some international projects, uh, in, in, especially in education infrastructure across the world. Uh, again, of course, on port and shipping uh, management. And uh, now already six years here at the Rasmus University in the Urban Port and Transport uh, Center. Okay. Very interesting.
0: Uh, very uh quite broad uh, p- profile. And, uh, so today we're going, to, of course, to talk about port management. So Maurice, I will have uh, have a lot of questions to ask you about it. So yes, it will be today quite, I think, a little bit longer than I expected this episode, but I think it will be very interesting. And first of all, I want to ask you the question, um, what are the fundamental aspects and consideration when you want to develop a port
1: project? Thank you. Um, the first thing you need to uh, indeed, you say port development and management, and there are two different things. But uh, first thing to understand is that uh, a port is, uh, of course, in a pivotal position, uh, and and that has uh, multiple levels. Yeah. So the basic level is, of course, you know the ecosystem. Yeah. So ports are usually at the crossing of land and sea, or land Ooh. and river. Um, and uh, quite often these are very populated areas. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of human activities, uh, industries, logistics, cargo handling, but also recreation, leisure. Uh, people just enjoying the waterside. Uh, so, in um, the the location of the port itself is already kind of an interesting, let's say, area, because you see a lot of uh, human activities happening at one specific point. And then there is of course also the, the bigger picture where you have let's say the port as a the function of the port in a global system, a global transport system. Uh, which of course for a lot of people you can't grasp that function. But when you go to the you know to the port, if you go to the mass factor for example, uh here in Rotterdam Uh, You go to the coastline, for example, in La Havre, you look out over the over the over the water. Yeah, of course you see the container terminals, you see the big ships coming in, and you see the cranes which are larger than life. Yeah. So there all of a sudden you get immersed into a world that is larger than than life. We could say beyond human scale. Uh, Mm. And of course the global transport system is also beyond human scale, because in some at some point in time, over maybe 50 years back in time, we created this global transport system. Uh, and I think that is the fascinating part of, of, of port development and port management, that it's this multi-scale uh, that you can see right at, um, yeah, at your at your feet. Uh, and, of course, um, you're part of it. You're standing there in front of the water side and you see it. You're mm-hmm. experiencing it and I think if you if you take a group of of young people, which I usually do of course because I'm working in education, if you take them to the port then all, i I get usually the the remark like, "Ah yeah, so now I really realize this whole concept and what you've been talking about and mm. and and the scale of it and uh yeah so that's that's how you I think how you need to to also bring port knowledge uh, across to other people to okay. let them experience it.
0: Okay, interesting. So for you, something which is quite in, uh, important, this is to take into account the population around the port uh, to, when you want to develop uh, to develop the port, or even to extend the port. Do we have other challenges right now uh, very important to take into account?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, and this is, of course, when you look at it from a research point of view, um this this whole i call it the port ecosystem is very complex mm. and it has very uh it's a lot of challenges and what well, well don't i mean challenges is always kind of covering up that there is a lot of problems yeah you can yeah. say oh there is a problem that people say' oh it's a challenge no sometimes you just have to define the problem because mm. if you don't define and and name the problem as they are, they're not getting solved um and of course um uh, that is that is what you see also in a port context. Uh, you see a lot of uh, emissions. Uh, you see pollution on the water, uh, in the air. Um, you see plastic, for example, plastic waste pollution, or let's say surface water uh, covering the surface. Uh, but you need to fundamentally understand that these problems don't start in the port, but they, so often they don't start in the port, but they kind of, uh, uh, become visible in the port mm. yeah and mm. uh, yeah of course uh, talking about plastic waste a lot of plastic waste is created on the land side because we throw it in the water or we throw it on the street and then of course by the wind it blows into the water uh, and then well the wind makes sure that it collet- it's, yeah. it's collected at some points uh, yeah so it's captured in some port basins for example or it flows into the sea uh, and um that is something that we need to understand that, uh, yeah, ports are kind of, again, it's this complexity of human activities that comes together in one point. Uh, okay. And of course, the forces of nature, the wind, you know, the currents, uh, the flow of the rivers uh, mm. makes it that, you know, all these these problems come together in one point. Okay. Uh, mm. I'm just talking about one little problem that we we can define yeah. plastic
0: pollution. Yeah, okay, I imagine you have many of them. Uh, but to come back, about uh, you talk about uh, a port location. The, so how uh, do geographic, economic and logistical factors influence the decision-making process when you need to select uh, the location for a new port?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um um and one of the researches that we have done recently is uh, about uh, port city symbiosis um and we define this ideal location um on the basis of a couple of what we call uh stocks of capital yeah mm. so the the first is the natural capital and yeah, the create the location of a port very much depends on what nature has provided for us Look at La Havre. You are from France, I know. Yes. <laughs> um, you are from La Havre, and 500 years ago, 1517, uh, one of the kings of, of France, they decided to create a new port mm. uh, in the river mouth of the Seine. If you go to La Havre, you see a very nice mountain ridge. Yeah, on the north side of uh, yeah. of the river, there is a mountain ridge. This is, of course, let's say, a uh, national protection. So it's of course the the delta of the river Sand, but it's also the mountain ridge, creating a kind of a shelter for all kinds of uh, all kinds of storms or bad mm. weather conditions. So I can imagine, yeah. So this would be an ideal location for a port. And we're talking about decisions that were made 500 years yes. ago um the same you could apply to to the port of Piraeus in Greece yeah so the the navy of 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 the city of Athens was uh, in in Piraeus because it was a sheltered port mm. the same you can look into Cartagena which is a Roman port or Cartagena uh stems from the city of Carthago in the southern part of France uh, or, or Spain Spain so there again Natural shelters are very important. That's the natural capital that uh, creates, of course, uh, an ideal location for a port. Okay. Uh, and the same, of course, you can apply to Rotterdam because, you know, for for the real, let's say, coal and iron ore trade between UK uh, and, and Germany, Rotterdam was ideally positioned right in between UK and, and yeah. Germany in the, um, let's say, industrial revolution. That okay, was already uh, ahead in UK and was starting up in in Germany in the 19th century. And of okay. course, there we need to to create some own, let's say, uh, conditions. Yeah, the the new waterway, the connection between the city and Hoek van Holland, to to help nature a little bit. Okay, uh, so that's that's where, you... where the, that's where the industrial capital comes in. Yeah, so it's not only the natural capital. Well, mm. without the natural capital, you cannot create industrial capital. Uh, yes,
0: yes, makes sense, and that's why uh, the port of Rotterdam or Antwerp, for example, become like became so successful. Uh, that the, the, the place to make it, then uh, the lo- the right location.
1: Yeah, I mean location. Yeah, um, geography uh, plays a very large part of uh, of the ideal location. Uh, but once that is there of course you need to create let's say uh industries and right. uh, logistics operations that connect the world yeah so yeah. Uh, that's of course the the importance of um uh having kind of a, a vision uh on the future of shipping uh, yes. yeah to so sure. the the connectivity between ports becomes important Uh, How how many services uh, per week, how many sailing schedules, uh, how many uh, capacity that you can mobilize on a specific shipping route.
0: Um, Interesting. Interesting. Uh, By the way, uh, you know, nowadays we have uh, this uh, big concern about sustainability. Uh, So... What kind of uh principle and practices nowadays we can make to integrate this sustainability uh, into port development
1: yeah um what i'm what I'm also recently published about is you can you have to look at port development and port management from an ecosystem's point of view uh, and you can uh, n- you can neglect. Ecosystem values, or you can nurture ecosystem values. So the neglect and nurture is very important. I'll give you an example. Again, coming back to to the natural capital, if you neglect dredging, Mm. if you don't dredge the port, you know that's the natural phenomenon of sedimentation in river deltas. Of course, neglecting dredging is devastating for your position because Mm. you cannot have the big ships arriving anymore. Uh, yeah, so that is very much concrete. But also, neglect is about air quality. If you neglect the air quality, yeah, and you want to set up a cruise, uh, a cruise uh, terminal or cruise mm. business, uh, I don't think uh, pollu- very polluted ports. And I've been to a couple of them also in India recently. Oh, oh they are. They have tried to set up cruise uh, activities there, but. The cities are so polluted. I cannot imagine tourists would enjoy walking around in a very smelly and dirty uh, mm. quayside. And yeah, I mean, this is also, you, you. it comes to the same principle, economic activities and environmental quality, they provide together the condition for sustainable development. Okay. Not the one... I, uh, in favor of the other. No, it's the both, uh, combining the both qualities that will give you
0: the prosperity. Okay. And you talk a lot about I've seen on your profile about zero waste supply chain. Uh, so I think it's gaining importance. This. Uh, can you explain what is it exactly? Uh, the zero waste supply chain.
1: If you uh, coming to the to the principle of of uh, environmental and econ- economical development and reconciling them into sustainable development, you need to come up with a uh, a performance uh, indicator or a, a drive for a specific performance that kind of re- relates both to eco- ecological and economical qualities. Mm. And that's why I think zero waste eh, as a common uh, measure, uh, or common driver, I think, is appealing to business people as well as to environmentalists. Because every, mm. you cannot agree, you cannot disagree that uh, you're against or uh, zero waste. yeah as a business person, it makes sense because waste expresses it also in time waste. yeah, yeah? waiting time at some point, someone needs to pay for this waiting time because you're leaving capacity idle. Yeah, that could be a truck waiting for a, a key side or for the, a terminal. That could be a barge waiting for a container terminal. Uh, so waste is time. Waste is also, um, let's say, products that become perished because of the waiting time. Yeah. So if you had mangoes, or let's say fruit from uh, from Latin America that, that you don't handle uh, good in, let's say, temperature-controlled equipment, of course, that's also waste. You're transporting a product that is not going to be sold on the market. So why would you transport it at all if you're spoiling the quality of it? And that, of course, also requires cooperation in the supply chain. Mm. Um, I can also continue with air quality. Uh, Same principle. Um, So emissions... And I'm very glad that uh, you know the ETS is coming now. Yeah. At least the carbon pricing and maybe ETS is. There's all discussion whether the emission trading system is the right market measure for it. But we need to have a carbon price just to make make the waste part in the supply chain to make it visible and to internalize it into our trans supply chain operations. Do we agree yeah. up? Uh, on it or not, uh it, it needs to be part of our supply chain. And luckily yeah, from the first of January uh shipping emissions as waste uh, air quality um is going to contribute now also to uh the sustainable development uh, of of our transport system and yeah I think this is um a, a markstone in in international supply chain management that we okay. are witnessing.
0: Oh, but uh, in terms of infrastructure in, on, uh, in a port, what kind of infrastructure can we develop to uh, avoid this, uh, this uh, waste on the, all those issues with uh, sustainability?
1: Yeah. I mean, a port and port infrastructure and port facilities are always an enabler yeah, for the logistics activities, for transport companies. The transport companies, they are the ones who are emitting mm. uh, when it comes to uh, the, the transport emissions. Um, and uh, as a port, you you have to create the facilities and the infrastructure. For example, uh, yeah, what you now see in the world, the green corridors. Yeah, yeah. So you see different pairs of, of ports to say, hey, it doesn't make sense that I'm the only one investing, for example, mm-hmm. in an LNG terminal. Because you know the ships depart from from your part in Singapore and they arrive in Rotterdam. So why don't we jointly develop certain fuel infrastructure that uh, allows the shipping companies to bunker their vessels uh, wherever they are, either on Asia side or on Europe side? Uh, so this this green corridor development uh, for multiple types of fuel because that's the the real complexity now the shipping companies, they play, um, yeah, they look at it from a risk profile to say, hey, if I'm going to invest in a methanol ship, uh, I need to make sure someone needs to secure the supply of bunker for that vessel. Mm. Otherwise, I'm not going to invest in methanol. Uh, okay. And the same goes for hydrogen or ammonia or uh, LNG. So at, at this point in time, we see, let's say the emergence of multiple fuels for, for shipping entering the market in order to decarbonize our shipping. Huh? Uh, that's also what the IMO is pushing for. Uh, and I think ports play a very uh, important role to de-risk the decarbonization transition okay. yeah. for the shipping lines.
0: Yeah, I mean collaboration between ports are, I think quite important. Um do you have the same because now I want to talk more about the digitalization part technological advancement. Uh what kind of advancement innovations we have right now in port because I know that the port of Rotterdam is quite advanced uh, in digitalization. Yeah, it it goes uh,
1: that's um it it goes in all different directions, yeah? so uh Port community systems have been um, around for for some uh, 25 years, I no. think. A little bit longer, if you look at Singapore, they were the first ones to to really implement a, a full-scale community system. Rotterdam port base uh, is also very well developed, and you, what you now see is uh, uh, all kind of applications and s- different services are developed. On the basis of the needs of the community, yeah. So if the port of, if if we're working into a problem of uh, lack of collaborative planning for, uh, let's say, barge vessels arriving in Rotterdam, you can see that uh, next logic. Yeah, that's one of the um, the innovations that came to market uh, last year. Uh, to really optimize the planning, the barge planning on the mass factor 2, huh, when they arrive to the container terminals. Mm. Uh, and it was previously, it was everybody was waiting for each other and uh, very unstructured barge vessels arriving uh, at random times. This is now all. The system is now very much controlled and managed. Uh, but also very interestingly, it's voluntary. Yeah, you can say mm. still as a barge operator, I'm not participating, but of course, don't you don't get the benefits from it, and that's the whole thing with port base. You subscribe to a service, of course, then you pay a transaction fee because you get the benefits when you take part. Um, and uh, well, I, I was re- reading it uh, yesterday. Over the last year, twenty percent efficiency savings. Were, was realized through this innovation, next logic, um, and here also the role of the port authority plays is important because this is a very complex pro- uh, project with uh, a high technology intensity, uh, a very uncertain outcome mm. yeah, because it's very new technology. It's collaborative, yeah. So there is all kind of stakeholders that. At some point in time, say yeah, but I don't see the benefits for myself, so I don't participate, and then they step back. And so someone needs to orchestrate this this complex product project and needs to make sure that the overall arcing vision uh, is supported. Although you know the main players are well, kind of uh, seeing more problems than than solutions. Okay. I think that's the achievement of uh, of the Port of Rotterdam as a whole cluster huh? as a yeah. as an ecosystem of companies that we persevered in that in that project uh, in that product uh, innovation. Um, so um, uh, mm. you know i t solutions often require trust, require long-term relationships. Um, mm. quite often also, uh, it's more the social aspect of the innovation rather than the technological innovation that mm. that makes the difference between a success of an innovation and a, a failure of an innovation.
0: Okay, quite an interesting point, this one. Uh, what kind of trends right now you you see in in the ports nowadays uh, in terms of <clears throat> technology? I mean, do do you see that AI will take the lead? Uh, you have drone or all those
1: stuff? Yeah. Um I must say I am I am a spectator of the digital innovations huh? so I don't develop it mm-hmm. myself uh, uh but I look at it and I uh, I think um the the um AI in it huh? so the next logic that I was talking about is pretty much built also on a artificial intelligence way of yeah. planning um, I think we are only in the early stage of development of what AI can mean for the port. Uh, I think it it has tremendous opportunities, uh, also risks. Uh, hmm. uh, uh, apart from AI, I see a lot of cyber uh, resilience that we need to make sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, last year, DP World, or and also other companies, we have seen Maersk. Uh, we we probably don't hear all the cyber attacks that ha- are going around uh, yeah, yeah. You know, in different points in the world, but definitely they are there. Uh, so the um, resilience to cyber attacks is a major issue uh, we need to be working on. Of course, very much um, uh, kind of it It doesn't really help that. Um, I mean, it's like countermeasure. Eh? So, a lot of the IT is always to make the port more efficient and optimize processes. But this is very much a countermeasure uh, mm-hmm. to make sure we, we don't have a, a port that is uh, dysfunctional. Thank you. Um, uh, autonomous vessels, I'm more skeptical about. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I see it happening in remote water areas, like in Norway, you know, yeah. in, on the fjords, where you have. Uh, Dozens of ferries crossing, you know, ten kilometers of of water. Uh, There it makes sense because you don't have the interference with other ships. Ships, yeah. Uh, The more busy the traffic, the less opportunity I see for autonomous vessels. Mm. Uh, At least for now, yeah. At least for now, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm an Interesting
0: point. Um, We have another part of uh, uh, port development. This is port city integration. Um, what can you say about it? What is the most important factors about port uh, city integration in term for the population, but also to make it dynamic for the professionals?
1: Yeah. Um, what first comes to mind is to have an open community dialogue, uh, uh, between port stakeholders and, and city stakeholders, um, we always call that inclusive, inclusive port development. Uh, so uh, you involve stakeholders right from the early stage of a uh, initiative to develop a port in a certain direction. Um, it also manifests itself very much in in areas of the port city um, that, yeah, where urban activities and industrial activities meet each other. Mm. Uh, for example, here in Rotterdam, you have the makers district. Uh, on the let's say we will call that the city ports. The city ports have been have developed over um, uh, well, over maybe 100 100 years and reach a certain point in the uh, that uh, old industries really deprive. Eh? They they go either pe- companies go bankrupt or they. Are moved to other places in the port with better facilities. Uh, so, what do you do with the abandoned areas? Yeah, you see that across yeah. different uh, ports. Uh, London is a good example uh, with docklands. Uh, London Gateway was also developed in uh, uh, on the east side of London, which was very much deteriorating. Uh, so, yeah. when economy, economic activities uh, go down, of course, you see uh, also poverty. Coming up in yeah. uh, in those uh, areas, so you need to, as a city, you need to do something with that with that land. And uh, how do you develop that land? Uh, yeah, you really come into a kind of a concept that we call, um, um, uh, let's say, uh, again, this this symbiosis. Huh? So, uh, but it it is from different values, different point of more urban values. Livability, uh, of course, noise is an issue. Yeah. yeah, because these these areas don't change overnight. Yeah, they, it's a very slow process. Uh, it could take decades before the old industry departs and the new indus- the new urban mm. activities, for example, housing gets developed. Uh, so, what do you do with? When are you going to build those houses? What do you do with the noise from the industry? Uh, how do you make sure that in the transition of this? Uh, yeah, from port to city, that stakeholders can live uh, next to each other. Okay. And, um, you know, the shared value and the shared planning of those activities becomes very important. And what you often see is um, there is a lot of entities, a lot of stakeholders who plan a specific part of that interface without looking at the others' values. And that, of course, yeah. Inclusive port development makes sure that uh, you develop the, these uh, these new functions uh, in a collaborative effort. Thank
0: you. Okay, quite interesting. And I think it's very important to take into account this uh, part when you want to develop a port. Um, Maurice, do you want to take a little break or do you want to continue? As, as we, are, we still have the, I can say, nine questions.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I, I mean, I, I wasn't... We talked about community dialogue, but the other thing I would like to raise is the need for talent. uh, Dialogue is also uh, highly needed if you want to make sure young people uh, see the port as a potential field of work for them Mm -hmm. to set up a career uh, in the port. Uh, And that is, you know, in a lot of European countries, we have a, a population where... We have uh, an aging population, so a lot of people leaving the job market and not sufficient young people enter the job market. That's Mm, across the whole labor market, across the whole economy. So you get a competition for talent. Um, And um, well, we talked about eh? YoungShip, YoungShip Rotterdam, YoungShip International. There's all kind of young professional networks in Rotterdam, I know there is eight different young professional networks. Uh, Youngship is one of the very international ones. Huh? They have branches all over, over the world in port cities, and they play a very important role to engage young professionals like uh, like yourself, I believe, to say, yes. hey, this is an industry uh, that I can see myself working in. Uh, of course, uh, when I leave the university or leave, uh, mm-hmm. I have develop myself a specific uh, craftsmanship, um, and then I want to work in the port, like an, as an electrician, as a mechanical yeah. engineer, or as a civil engineer, uh, maybe as a stakeholder manager, or as a school teacher, and all kinds of uh, possibilities. There is, I think, some 200 jobs uh, yeah. in the port, you know? and people don't realize that if you want to become a policeman, you can also become a port policeman, for example. Cool. Yeah, or you want to be a, a surveyor, or you want to be a security officer, you can also find a port in the, a, a job in the port. So uh, the versatility of a port makes that uh, whatever career you can you want to take on for yourself, there is a, also a, a position in the port possible, and you get um, the view. You get the international aspect you get the people that work in the port you get it all um, in one package and uh, that's what i i hear if i talk with people on network meetings that uh, they really enjoy working in the port because of the combination of it eh? the ships the cranes the size of and the scale of it but also the warmth of the people the the passion of the people Uh, and that is a story that we need to to the youngsters, uh, of course, uh, the 20-year-olds who leave mm. the university, but also the 12-year-olds who go into high yeah. school.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 And especially in the maritime industry, the visibility is not so high. So it's. I think uh, we have a big work to do about a uh, big job to do about uh, attract attract uh, new people.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, in in the Netherlands, it's a small country, so the distance to the sea is not so far. Yeah. But if you go to France, yeah, it's yeah. more complicated. You have, we it's have more complicated. Power. Yeah, yeah how is. many people have uh, seen the beach in France? Uh, if you're living that's in true. the middle of the country or in, you well, know, uh, in the Alps, I mean, that that's a different. For us, it's 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 um, relatively easy yeah. uh, to take people to sea, to take people to the port. But you need to do it. Uh, you really, we are also uh, at this point talking about. And this really comes uh, uh, fresh from, from the discussions. We want to take every school child in his school career, mm-hmm. uh, starting from six-year-old to 20-year-old. They have to see the port five times in their careers. Oh, wow. Not just oh. one time, five times. Five times. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's At some the... point, you need to find this sparkle. And we believe the sparkle of, hey, I want to do this with my career. Uh doesn't just happen once, but you have to be there multiple times throughout that yeah. school career.
0: Yeah, that's the reason why the maritime cluster in the Netherlands, I mean, the number of people working in the industry is quite high in comparison with other, the neighbor in Germany, Germany for example, or France. I think uh, it's because the young people are quite uh, used to the sea quite early in, the, in their age. I mean, by practicing, you know, sailing or even visiting ports, etc. All of those kind of activities, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and of course we have all, all kind of festivals. Huh? So we have the World Port Festival in Rotterdam, yeah. the largest public event in the Netherlands, 350,000, sometimes even 400,000 participants in three days. This is really huge. Uh, but we also have different difficulty reaching specific groups of uh, of young people. And mm. uh, um, so some of the, the people we don't... Uh, get them engaged. So we knew we have to have a better story for those people. Okay. And that's we are working on that also.
0: Okay. Quite interesting points. Nice. Okay. Now I want to talk uh, more about the finance financial part. Uh, what are the fi- common financial models to develop a port? I'm talking about stakeholders or can uh, every aspect of financing financing a port.
1: Mm, that's a big question, uh, but is, yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let me try. <laughs> uh, what you see a lot in, um, across the world is uh, public-private partnerships. Huh? There's um, Across the world, there's a lot of public ports. Uh, public ports means uh, the government pays for port development, mm. but the general idea is that uh, commercial investors... Mm uh, companies are much better equipped to assess the commercial risk of a port development. Uh, at the commercial risk, I mean, is there a market for a specific port, uh, handling activity, for example? Yeah, you could say, um, uh, look at offshore wind, for example, uh, look at container handling, um, uh, or, or bio biorefineries yeah i mean as a as a government you're not going to set up a biorefinery mm. you looking you will be looking for companies who are into biorefinery and then to say hey what market do you see for yourself in terms of biofuels in the future and do you think the public port that i'm running or the port that i'm running is a good location for your facilities mm. this is how you you try to set up a public private partnership, you say, okay, as a, as a public authority, you could say, we're going to provide you the basic infrastructure and uh, the land, the, the accessibility by road, by water, by train. But when it comes to your pork premises, you need to pick up that investment in setting up the bio refinery. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, that that uh, uh, I think, is the combination you need to be looking for. Now, so the public authorities is looking at the political risks. And of course, also the, uh, the infrastructure that just needs to be there because you're, you're making sure that roads um, and pavements and all of that is also accessible for other people that are using it. But the commercial risk has to be picked up by uh, a commercial party. Um, so we, we call that the landlord model, eh? okay. where you combine these two together. Um, and, um, for example, in Rotterdam, uh, I think we have over every year some three to four billion euros of private investment. And the port authority uh, invests some 300 million per year as a landlord. Um. Yeah, so uh, of course that is not uh, the case in every port we're talking about the biggest port of of Europe, Uh, but it really shows that the attractive uh, attractiveness of Rotterdam is very high, but it also has to do with the energy transition, right? The Mm. Port Authority has a, a vision laid out into the future say, hey, we're going to build here the most sustainable, the most energy efficient port. So this is the right location for you mm. uh, and that that port vision is of course created by the port authority but always in collaboration with the companies yeah the port authority is going to ask these companies what is your future uh, and on the base of of these discussions they are creating a port vision and on the port vision uh, these these investment plans are of course being made on a more let's say uh concrete level okay uh, so the vision is then translated into a master plan is then translated into a business plan so mm. it's like this this is what i also call symbiosis the interaction between public and private actors in this in this ecosystem that they jointly work on let's say changing the 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 future of the business
0: that's an important point so you mean that uh, most of the ports use like private actors and of course public actors to bring all those capital or we have some ports who are doing uh, only like in, with pub- public funding or other ports only with private funding it's always a combination
1: uh, yeah there are um, uh, there are still ports uh, that are being developed on public funding uh the risk there is that if you don't assess the market well, you create all kinds of uh, mm. facility that nobody is going to yeah. to be looking for. True. Uh, and if you know there's a a private company, of course you have to look carefully whether you know the financials of this company are healthy. Yeah. So the continuity of of that company, of course. Uh, Is this a a company that has been doing well over the last decades? And did they also uh, kind of what is their market share and what is their own outlooks? Um, The quality of such companies, of course, very important for the public authority Mm. uh, to to partner up with. Uh, But I I believe that uh, the combination is the the ideal model.
0: Okay. 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 Good point. Uh, on now on more about regulatory challenges, uh, because of course, I think it's quite important uh, to take into consideration re- uh, regulatory challenges. Um, what you, do you think uh, port needs, needs to take into account if you want to develop something in a port? Uh, so first of all, what kind of regulatory are the most important ones? Uh, because of course, we have IMO, etc., but more for in the port, uh,
1: for port development. And the, the the most important challenge always is to to bring together national regulatory frameworks with international regulatory frameworks. Okay. Uh, and um, that's the again, this is the the local versus global uh, dimension that we're talking about. On a global level, we can agree on the Paris Agreement. We can agree on the SDGs. Hmm. But, of course on the, on the local level you agree on the permits yeah so a permit you get a permit from the municipality uh, and or from a local port authority with with uh, with uh let's say a public private interest um, and this is different in every in for every other port city is different um and then here it comes again with what are the values uh, that you want to to cherish? Mm. Are you going to cherish the eco- economical values first over environmental values or biodiversity? Uh, and every port, and uh, of course we have the same here in Rotterdam, sometimes we have just a conflict uh, because of these values, yeah? talking about... Uh, uh nature compensation for example or biodiversity or uh noise uh, mm. uh so we're not talking here about you know all the big things and ets and regulatory frameworks and uh how that works um but also i mean the conflicts are usually on the details um uh, yeah on, okay. on the, the nuisances that community uh has with uh, port activities uh, and I, I think noise is a very good example uh, but also air pollution and uh, biodiversity very much underestimated subject in poor development I think but also I mean what do you do with spiritual values or uh, uh, I can imagine uh, if you're in, uh, in, in places where you have uh, a lot of um, let's say um uh, minority groups or uh native uh tribes yeah? uh, or native communities they also have right to live on the land of the port that mm. we now call a port that used that could well be maybe their uh, uh their ancestors' grounds which you're now claiming for poor development there's a couple of Situations in Kenya and in in Australia, in Canada, mm. uh, where also poor development needs to be reconciled with uh, with these kind of values from that goes centuries back, yeah, and in generations. Uh, so sometimes they are very invisible.
0: Um, mm. Thank you. Okay, quite interesting. Um, so we talked about like reg- regulation, etc. Uh, what about now? I want to talk now about two last points. Then I think we are quite done with uh, all those information. What can you say about multimodal transportation connectivity? So, like, how can a port be strategically connected to various modes of transportation, like rail, road networks, and to yeah. optimize the logistics? Yeah, it comes.
1: It comes down to the what I said in the beginning, yeah? so if. It- if the port is endowed with a very nice water infrastructure, like uh, Antwerp and, uh, and Rotterdam, yeah, you can use the waterways for uh, for, for transportation. Uh, and when it comes to bulk transportation, bulk commodities, uh, it's very uh, intensively used uh, mm. yeah, between Rotterdam and the, and the hinterlands in Germany, up to Switzerland, when it comes to containers, be, it becomes more difficult because often goods that are travel in containers are much more time sensitive yeah. uh, and collaboration in the supply chain is is much more needed there um, and yeah, what you dare see is um, you need to kind of optimize a whole network of activities mm. uh, and um, if you want to set up let's say a, a multimodal transport. You need to compete with trucking and trucking is very flexible. Uh, so you can imagine if you, if you want to bring your, your container tomorrow to Germany, you can call a trucking company, Yeah. You know, in half an hour, one hour, you have an empty container standing in front of your warehouse. If you want right. to do this multimodal, you need to first look at the shipping schedules and then you find out, ah, okay, I'm lucky today. There is a sailing or. Oh, I'm not so lucky. Mm. My destination only departs on Friday and not on on Monday. So you, what do you do then? Uh, uh, so what you see is you, the commitment of cargo to a specific uh, transport mode depends also on the frequency. Um, yeah, the the higher frequency, the more cargo owners will say, "Hey, indeed, um, I can also." Put my container on the ship instead of on a truck. Mm. Uh but it's really about the the frequency and of course also the capacity that is available on that route that determines whether you could ship your containers also by other tra- transport mode. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah, it's it's fair point. Yeah. 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 Imagine, especially in the Netherlands, I think they want to develop the interland connection. I mean, using barges instead of uh, trucks, because in terms of pollution, it's it's more optimized.
1: Yeah. So in in absolute terms, you could say that uh, uh, barge transport has grown over the last years, 20 years. Uh, But in relatively speaking, the the modal split is still the same as 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah, but overall, of course, we have been able to ship more containers through the Port of Rotterdam. Uh, So more is shipped also by truck. And that, of course, also prevent that leads to congestion on the highways. So what we need to see also is that indeed absolute numbers by barge and by rail increase, but also the relative share of barge needs to be increased. Okay, Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: makes sense, makes sense. And especially in, we have the infrastructure, I think, in the Netherlands for in, inland shipping uh, to use this because I think I are quite quite uh, busy, uh, especially in the Netherlands. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the last topic, uh, which is capacity planning. So. Uh, this is very quite important. It's about you know, um, capacity of the port. For example, when you want to develop a port or a terminal, you need to take into account uh, the future. Uh, how can it be the scalability? scalability um, and of course, if you want to develop terminal, or if it if it will be like a iron ore terminal or container terminal, what can you say about it? How can we just? Uh, how can we like plan the future to say? I think this is. Uh, this terminal at this place, we need to to build.
1: Yeah, well, scalability. Uh, you always need to look into the mm-hmm. where where are you developing the port? If you're de- developing a port in a very densely populated area with a lot of human activities, coming back to the same concept as I thought right in the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so your natural capital is the space that you have available on mm-hmm. the water side. Yeah, um, so you could basically say that uh, for most European ports, space is very scarce. So scalability is difficult. In ports like India, for example, yeah. you now I was there recently, or Tangier, Met Morocco. Yeah, uh, space is not that scarce. So you have more leeway to say first phase, second phase, third phase, and yeah, so depending on the market again, you basically need to phase in uh, port capacity. Now we learned over over the years that uh, full-scale port development um, uh, doesn't really work. But phased planning, uh, of course it makes you more kind of responsive to market changes. So who can foresee uh, the fuel demands for 30 years ahead? Nobody. So gradually you want to phase in different refinery capacity, different tank farms capacity, different pipeline capacity. You're phasing that in mm. uh, over a longer time of uh, in in the future. I think that this is... Yeah, basic port planning, so to say. We call that also adaptive port planning. Okay. You build the infrastructure that you need for customers that are needing it right now. Yeah, so a good example is uh, the container terminals in Rotterdam, uh, APMT and Rotterdam World Gateway. Well, they started in 2014, 2015 with phase one. They had an option for phase two already.
0: Uh, okay.
1: And of course, at some point, the Port of Rottenham asks, are you going to fulfill this option or should I develop it for another purpose? And then, of course, it's up to this market company to say, OK, yeah, let's let's put this second option um, in development. And yeah. that is happening at this moment. Yeah. So as a yeah. as a way to uh, anticipate and respond to the changes, the market. Okay. Okay. Very, quite
0: interesting. Uh, because of course, uh, I, have did like a, a class about it. Anyway, I wanted to ask you the last question of the podcast. Uh, what kind of, uh, advice would you give to professionals, uh, future, future, professionals or stakeholders who want to start, uh, in the field of port development?
1: Uh first of all I would say um try to visit uh as much places as you can uh try to visit uh different ports across the world talk with a lot of people from different uh you know nationalities mm. cultural backgrounds make sure that you I mean ports is a very international business and although it it looks similar across the world every country, every port has is very specific aspects, very specific culture, let's say, interactions between stakeholders. Um, and also the interaction with the environment is, is different. And I think we can learn a lot from each other uh, in the way that we go about with these interactions uh, between people and of course, between people and the environment. Uh, and it really broadens your mind uh, and your vision uh, that, that these two are very important together you need to broaden your mind to to really make the, the right vision uh, and then of course you need your interaction to make it happen okay. so uh, I think that's the most important lesson I would uh, give to your audience thank you Maurice thank you for this episode it was quite long but very interesting uh, I think
0: we, we say a lot about uh, port development um, so thank you again and of course, I wish you Happy Christmas and Happy New Year.
1: Yeah. Yes, Yeah. thank uh, for having me, Paul-Louis. And uh, if uh, the audience is interested, there are papers, publications out there. Uh, of course, uh, also some, some lighter materials, uh, reading materials, or people can contact me if they want to know more. So uh, happy to be uh, part of your podcast and I wish you all the best uh, for the next year. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thank you, Maurice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening and watching this episode. We are looking forward to bring you more insights from maritime professionals, experts, and students. Do not hesitate to follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on YouTube. Your support means a lot to us and helps us to bring you more content.